Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now as you prepare your heart to receive God's Word, we pray that His Spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life. All right, we're going to go right away to our Bibles to Romans chapter 16. Romans 16, and we're going to be breaking down the last few verses in the book of Romans, verses 25 to 27, and today marks the end, as Pastor Andrew shared, of another ministry year. Our ministry year goes from September all the way to June, and uh, today marks the end of our series, Chaos and Christianity, which is expositions through the book of Romans, chapter 12 to 16. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, you can slip up your hand and one of the ushers would love to put a copy of God's word into your hand. All we want today is for everyone to have their eyes on a copy of God's word. Okay, bit of review. We began this series back in January and we began the series with a very intentional uh, purpose of bringing God's word to bear on our lives, in our church, specifically as we've been facing circumstances over the last two years in our world and in our country that have left many of us and many of us in our church family asking a very important questions. And so really quick review, really, really high level. We took time in Romans 12 to be reminded of the results of a life that's been uh, transformed by the gospel and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The life that's been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ is a life that is being transformed by the renewal of the mind leading to authentic love, love for each other, love for our neighbor, love for people outside of the church, love for even our enemies. And Romans 12 prepared the way for us to tackle some much needed truth found in Romans 13 how the life that's been transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ should relate to the governing authorities. And that's been a hot topic over the last two years. But we saw a truth that was and is particularly pertinent as so many of us have contended with the realities of government overreach or injustices brought about by mandates that have left people in our church jobless and unable to travel and fueling discouragement that just lasted far too long. We, we needed to see what God's word has to say about this, and we did, we did. And we went from there into Romans 14 and 15 where we unpacked much needed teaching about how we as the church should handle uh, disagreements in the church. Specifically, disagreements about issues of conscience, or Paul calls them disputable matters. We learned about the importance of a term we coined theological triage. Sorry, we didn't coin the term, but we referred to the term theological triage. That the way we treat first and second level issues is vastly different from the way we need to be treating third level disputable issues. And that instructed us as a church, and I pray helped us all. And how understanding this results in unity, not division. How understanding this results in welcoming one another, not judging or despising each other. It's important truth that we unpacked. And I pray truth that'll stay with us forever. And today we come now to the end of the final chapter in the great book of Romans. Today uh, we're looking at Romans 16, 25 to 27. The title of today's message is this, uh, Finishing 
the ministry year right. Finishing the ministry year right. Let me read God's word and then we'll exposit it and unpack it and pray that God will help us with that. Romans 16, starting from verse 25, Paul's final words, and this is what he says. He says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So much truth for us in these final verses. This is where we're going to start. If you have a pen and a sermon note card, you can write this down. Finishing the ministry year right. Here's point number one. Uh, All glory to God. All glory to God. If you've come to this church and you thought, man, this leader over here, he seems pretty cool, or this pastor over here, or this group of people over here, or these musicians over here, that's why I go to this church. Let me just correct that right away. We want to finish the ministry year right in this church. All glory to God. And that's what Paul is ending with. And that's been the thread through the entire letter. Look at verse 25. The apostle Paul says, now to him. Now we need to stop right here for a moment. The words now to him launch us into a powerful and theologically rich doxological climax to Paul's book of Romans. What exactly does that mean? Well, the word doxology means an anthem of praise. All glory to God. And that's what this final section in the book of Romans is. If you see it in your Bible, it's titled doxology. This final section in the writing of the Apostle Paul is not to be breezed through, it's not to be overlooked. No, he's bringing his letter to a triumphant climax with this theologically rich doxology, this anthem of praise, essentially, as a result of the glorious truths that the Apostle Paul has laid out in chapters 1 to 11, the great exposition of the gospel, the doctrinal realities laid out in Romans 1 to 11, as a result of that, as a result of the power of the gospel to create and compel a transformed life in Romans 12 to 16, the apostle Paul erupts in praise and worship when he says, and now to him. Important for us to understand that Paul erupts in praise when he says, and now to him, not because of emotionalism. He doesn't erupt in praise because of sensationalism or because of some hype or because of a good band on a stage or a gifted vocalist leading songs. Paul's doxology here. His anthem of praise is fueled by his theology. It's the result of all that's been detailed all throughout the book of Romans. Now, Paul says, 
We ascribe something to God. Now, Paul says, we fix our affections firmly unto God. Now, Paul says, we align all of our priorities with God's. Now, Paul says, we respond with the only appropriate response of someone who's seen and understood and embraced and experienced the supernatural impact of the gospel of Jesus Christ upon their lives. Now, Paul says to him, and now, if it hasn't already been made abundantly clear, now we ascribe worth and glory and honor and dominion to him. Why, why? Because he's worthy of it. And because Paul's robust theology, this is always the way it works. Robust theology precedes passionate and true doxology. Always. Robust worship comes from robust theology. It's not about how a certain song feels. It's not about the tune or a melody of a certain song. All of that is for God and for his use. The entire uh, scriptures are filled with examples of how important music is and how God uses music. But true doxology Genuine worship, genuine anthems of praise that rise consistently from hearts of people in the church come from people first who have understood theology, who God is, because an understanding of divine truth always precedes and forms the basis of declarations of worship that come from the heart. It's just always true. And so we're gonna be challenged really quickly here. That's why it matters what we sing in our gatherings. That's why it's important to ask, why do I love a particular song? Or why do I feel moved in a particular moment during singing or sitting under preaching or in a prayer meeting? Because true worship, true doxology, Genuine anthems and songs and prayers of praise always come from a heart that's understood and grasped some divine truth. That's what we're seeing here in Romans 16, 25 to 27. Paul erupts in praise as a result on the basis of the magnificent truth of the gospel. And that's why Paul, after an elaborate exposition of the gospel, erupts here when he says now to him. So before we go on, loved ones, there's something for us to learn from these verses that can forever change the way we approach our worship gatherings or our prayer meetings or your own personal time of devotions or some moment that you have between you and God alone or in the context of others? Question, have you ever walked out of church and said the words, worship was amazing today? Why did you say that? Or have you ever walked out of church feeling like, ah, you know, worship didn't really do it for me today. 
Why did you feel that? Or have you ever walked out of church sensing a filling of the Holy Spirit? Or walking out of church knowing the blessedness of a heart that's overflowing in thanksgiving or the simplicity of authentic worship from the heart because of how a particular truth from God's word struck you. That's true doxology. That's true worship. And the reason why Paul can ascribe worth and glory to God is because based on the revealed truth of the Bible and the impact with which it has hit his life and transformed his life and completely and miraculously altered his eternal destiny, the overflow of his heart is this, all glory to God. God, you're amazing. God, you're just worthy of my worship. God, forgive me for holding things back. Forgive me for worshiping idols. Now I've seen from your book, I've seen how beautiful you are. I've seen how powerful you are. I see how glorious you are. I see what it means for me. And now I give you my life. I worship. This loved ones will be the reality for all of us who refuse from day to day to be captivated by the counterfeit gods of the world and who choose to look intently on the beauty of his revealed truth and what it truly means for us. This, loved ones, is how we want to be finishing this ministry year. All glory to God because of what he's spoken to me this ministry year, because of what he's taught me this ministry year, because of the word that's come alive to me this ministry year, because of how prayer meetings have invigorated my heart and reshaped my commitment and formed my commitment to seek the Lord again in prayer, because he keeps speaking to me. He keeps moving in my life. He keeps being faithful to me. So that on the basis of that truth, that truth of the gospel, doxology flows from our hearts, genuine Worship it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. It doesn't matter what's happening out there. Doxology, an anthem of praise, true worship flows from the heart of all who will see him for who he really is. That's what Paul sees. And based on this amazing exposition of the gospel of Romans 16 and all its implications in Romans 1 to all the way to 16, he erupts in praise. Finishing the ministry, you're right, all Glory to God. Second point is this, continuing a sentence. Finishing the ministry, you write all glory to God. Who secures us by the power of his gospel? All glory to God. Second point is this, who secures us by the power of his gospel? Look at verse 25 to 26 now. He says, now to him, watch this, who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. There's a lot of truth in there. Here, Paul is essentially summarizing the content of the book of Romans in one long, complex, run-on sentence. And in this long complex run-on sentence, Paul recaps the reason why all glory belongs to God. He recaps the reason why he is devoted 
and giving his entire life to the preaching of the gospel. I want you to notice verse 25 again. He says, now to him, watch this, who is able to strengthen you. Now other translations say who is able to establish you. And the idea here is one of firmly securing or establishing, and he has in mind our great salvation, that Christians are eternally, firmly secure. That's why God is worthy of Paul's worship. Now this week, in fact, the week before last, Aileen's beautiful grandmother passed away. And the funeral was this past Tuesday. And she was a remarkably strong woman. She lived to 96 years old. She was a remarkably strong woman for most of her life until she suffered a stroke that absolutely debilitated her 12 years ago. As I said, she was 96 years old. At the funeral, there were lots of memories shared. You know how this goes. Lots of amazing memories about the amazing cook she was. And I can testify to that. An Italian grandmother, man, I've never tasted food like hers in my life, except my wife's. My wife's is really good. (laughs) Caught myself there. See that? But the amazing cook she was, the amazing baker she was, the amazing gardener she was, how generous she was. Story after story. But, But if that's all there was, then that day would have been a tremendously hopeless day because all of that has faded and is now gone. But Aileen, my wife, had the opportunity to share about her grandmother, and she shared about her grandmother's faith in Jesus. She shared about her grandmother's love for God. She shared about her grandmother's commitment to the gospel. She shared about her grandmother's God who was able to secure her in the face of death. Amazing stories about the cook she was and the baker she was and the gardener she was and how strong she, she was. But, but, but now what? She's in the casket. Not really. Because Aileen shared about her God who was able to secure her for eternity. And I find that funerals always present the Unique opportunity for people to consider the single greatest question facing every single human being who ever lived. Consider this. Is there anything in this world that is able to secure and establish your life in the face of death? Is there anything? Is money able to establish you and secure you in the face of death? Is marriage able to establish and secure you in the face of death? Are achievements and accolades able to establish and secure you in the face of death? Is your reputation and status able to establish and secure you in the face of death? And the answer is no. There's nothing in this world, there's nothing in this life, there's nothing this world can offer us that can secure us for an eternity. And this is why most people find funerals depressing. Because they're left with this disconnect. Maybe you've experienced that. 
between the life that was lived, the good things that are being said about the person, and now this empty hole, this sudden final end to it all. And regardless of who this person was or what this person did, there's absolutely nothing about them that can safely secure them or carry them into the next life. Unless, unless that person is a follower of Jesus Christ. And Paul says something absolutely earth-shattering that's fueling his doxology and bringing his letter to a climactic close. He says, only the power of the eternal creator God through the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is able to secure people for and eternity, only the power of God. And that's why Paul wrote on the screen for you at the outset of his letter in Romans 1.16, he said, for I'm not ashamed of what the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. On the screen for you, that's why Paul wrote in Romans 8, 31 to 39, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? No matter what's happening in this world, he said, we are secure in God. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with us graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? People are talking about you. People are attacking you. People are abusing you. People are persecuting you. People want to make you doubt your faith. No one can do that to the child of God. You are secure. Who can bring a charge? He says, it is God who justifies. God secures us. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us. And then he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can anyone break this thing up? Can anyone get in the way of what Jesus Christ has established in us? No, we are secure. We're secure. He says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he says, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Who can separate us from what God has firmly secured in our salvation? No one. And this becomes the basis of Paul's doxology and Paul's worship. He's saying to him, we're ascribing worth and worship to him who is able, the only one who is able to establish you and secure you. That's, that's huge for the Christian because you know we're facing things in this world we're seeing things in our government, we're seeing things around the globe that are devastating. And sometimes we feel discouraged. And sometimes we even feel defeated. But we are not. We are secure. We are safe in Jesus Christ and because of his gospel. This is what Paul is summarizing here in this long run-on sentence of a doxology. 
And so, loved ones, I want us to meditate on this fact really quickly here, but I pray profoundly and allow this truth to dispel any fear, anxiety, or nearsightedness that we may have today. Are you discouraged about anything? You're looking at the world and you feel like the the enemy is winning? You're feeling like you're, you're not safe anymore? You are, I am, safe in Christ because of his gospel. You can make a note of this. We are secure by the power of his gospel. Note this, Christ has been made known and personal to me. He's not some far distant God out there. He's been made known and personal to me. Verses 25 to 26. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, establish you, secure you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings have been made known to all nations. I don't have time to elaborate on every one of those details, but there's so much truth here. Essentially, I want you to notice we are established, strengthened, and secured by the gospel, Paul says, which is the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now, some people out there will tell you, you can come to God, but it's not exclusively through Jesus Christ. Wrong. We are secure through the proclamation and reception of the gospel. That is the preaching of none other than Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And you can know him. Those of us that know him, we can rejoice and have a doxological response of our own because of this. He has been made known and personal to us. We are secured by the gospel, which is the preaching of Jesus Christ, which is the revelation of truth that has been prophetically announced for long ages through the prophets. It's not a new message. It's not a few hundred years old. This is thousands and thousands and thousands of years. In fact, before the world began, before the foundations of the world, God had in mind his plan of redemption. And this plan of redemption is made known to you and it's made known to me. If that doesn't create a doxological response in you, then nothing will. It was announced long before the ages through the prophets. Prophets, by the way, who longed to see it and, and it has now been disclosed and made known to all nations and listen to you and to me. We have all that we need, loved ones, in Christ. You know that, right? We have everything we need in Jesus Christ. We have all that we need to generate a response of worship and surrender to God. We have all that we need in the gospel. Even if we lose all our money, even if we lose all our loved ones, even if we're heavily persecuted, Even if we don't have air conditioning in this building, the things we complain about, we have all that we need in this truth. Jesus Christ has made himself known to me and you and I are secure forever. Christ has been made known and personal to me. Second thing I just want you to see really quickly is this. God has accomplished his greatest purpose in me. You know, some of us are searching for meaning. We're searching for love. We're searching for significance. We want people to notice us. We want to live for some kind of purpose. I just want you to notice this, that God has accomplished his greatest purpose in me. 
verse 26, starting from verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. Notice now, jump to 26. According to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Just consider the apostle Paul. The former Pharisee, an expert of the law of God, consider his wonder, consider his amazement, consider his awe of the fact that the truth he'd been so zealous for in Judaism was all pointing to the purposes of salvation through Jesus Christ. Paul thought he had a purpose. He was zealous for Judaism, but until he met Christ, he had no purpose. And when he met Christ, the purposes of God infused his life. Just as he'd confronted Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And just as he was brought into subjection to God through faith, so it became his greatest aim to be a conduit through which many others, Jews and Gentiles, come into this subjection to God through faith in Christ, all by the sovereign command of God, the text says. And the reason he's giving his life to this is because he understands what's at stake. And he understands that there's no greater purpose. There's no greater purpose than to have God through Jesus Christ take our dead hearts and bring us to life. There's no greater purpose established in us. There's no greater purpose for which we live than that God through Jesus Christ sought us. He pursued us. He got a hold of us. He said, wake up. And the spirit of God regenerated us to new life. And now we have an eternal hope. And now we live with this eternal hope in mind. And now because the great purposes of God, the supreme purposes of God were made known in us and to us. Now we live for a great purpose to bring others to know him as well. See, God has accomplished his greatest purpose in you and me. And if it takes you, listen, if it takes maybe a job promotion to get you worshiping, okay, I get it. We want to thank God for that. If it takes a, a, a raise in your pay to get you worshiping, fine. We want to thank God for that and worship God for that. If it takes the, the, the government changing and, and aligning with, yes, we want to worship, but, but what should drive us to a doxological response more than anything in spite of everything that's happening in the world? It's this, God's purpose of redemption unfolded in my heart. He saved me. What should make us run to church with our hands in the air, with our hands clapping, with our voices raised? God's purpose of redemption came to me. God's purpose, God's purpose came to me and it came to you. This is why the church should be the most exciting place on the planet. This is why the people of God should be the loudest people on the planet. I've been at Raptors games that are pretty loud. I mean, really loud. It shouldn't compare to the gathered church. Why? Because God's purpose, just think about this. The eternal God's purpose of redemption came to us. And now when we die, when we pass from this life to the next, our physical death is not an, a hopeless end. In fact, it was Billy Graham who said, our Physical death is a gateway to an endless 
hope. It's the gospel. It's the beauty of the gospel. God has accomplished his greatest purpose in me. So loved ones, if you're a Christian today, it's not just a religion. It's not just a hobby. It's not just a tradition. You have been brought by God into the glorious reality of redemption. And so what do we say that? We say now to him who is able to strengthen us, we worship you, we glorify you, we live for you. We want all that you have for us. We give you our entire lives. Finishing the ministry year right. All glory to God who secures us by the power of his gospel. Finally and quickly this, finishing the sentence. All for the glory of God. All glory to God who secures us by the power of his gospel, all for the glory of God. You say, you said that already. Yeah, that's the point. And Paul says it again because he wants to be very clear. Notice verse 27. In fact, starting from verse 25, he says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that's been kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings and been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. And then he says, to the only wise God be what? Can you say it? Be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. After summarizing the great salvation that came through the gospel, by which men and women are secured for eternity. Paul exalts the wisdom of God's unfolding plan of redemption. Did you see it? He says, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. He exalts the wisdom of his plan from the very beginning to send a redeemer from the seed of the woman to rescue sinful men and women. Paul is exalting the wisdom of God's plan of redemption. The wisdom of the precision of salvation history coming about through the Old Testament prophets announcing the coming of Jesus Christ hundreds of years before he came. Paul is exalting the wisdom of God's redemptive plan of salvation. The wisdom of his plan to preserve the, the lineage of Adam and Eve throughout the hundreds of tumultuous years of Israel's existence. Paul is exalting the wisdom of God's redemptive plan. The wisdom of the God-man, Jesus Christ, who redeems not only one nation, but all nations, both Jews and Gentiles, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The wisdom of the atonement, the wisdom of reconciliation, the wisdom of justification, the wisdom of redemption, and all that that means as Paul spans redemptive history for all who would trust in his sovereign plan. We are sitting here today because of the wisdom of God's redemptive purpose. You are sitting here today. Okay, you can clap if you want. We are sitting here today because of the wisdom of God. And that's why he deserves all the glory. Loved ones, the God that we worship is wise. And he deserves glory forever. Because of his wisdom in saving you and me and thousands upon thousands all over the world. And because of the wisdom of his redemptive purpose that we say with faith will bring salvation to hundreds 
and dare I say thousands of lost people that surround this school. You see, we have been brought into the purposes of God. Paul understands that. And that's why at the end of his letter in Romans 16, the only appropriate way to end is to say, now we ascribe worth and glory to him. And may it be so for us, loved ones, that we ascribe worth and glory to him, not only because of what he's accomplished in us as individuals, but as a church, as a community, and in faith for what he will do in this city, again, for his glory alone. Loved ones, we want to finish the ministry year right. A few questions, and I'm going to ask you to bow your head right now. I'm ask the worship team to come, but a few questions. What has God taught you this year that will compel a doxological response of praise and worship? What has he brought you through that demands a passionate and sincere doxology today? What has he protected you from or preserved you through that demands a heart of praise? Has he protected you from or preserving you through job loss? You've been unable to travel to see family members because of mandates. Is he protecting you and preserving you through that? Is it discouragement or confusion, even moments of despair? What has he brought you through? When you begin to think about the truths that we've learned and the faithfulness we've seen, we can't help but worship. And this ministry year was very different for me personally. And when I look back at my preaching calendar, I'm amazed at how God sustained us and sustained me. I personally began this ministry year on a medical leave and our church walked through a very difficult leadership crisis and God has never left us once. It reminds me of what John Piper once said. He said, life is hard and God is good. He is always faithful. Yes, life is hard. Yes, it's true. And God is good, isn't it true? Isn't it true for your life? Isn't it true for your family? Isn't it true for our church family? Life is hard sometimes, and God is good all the time. So we want to use this song now to fix our gaze towards Jesus with a doxology of our own and let praise rise to our faithful God. I want you to stand with me. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.